Welcome to another edition of the Hypocritical Podcast. I'm your host, Olena Hugh, and joining me this week is marketing manager of Palbox, Sierra Reed. Hi, Olena. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday to you, too. Now, coming up on the show, Tesla. Yes, Tesla is making big news when it comes to ransomware. Find out what exactly is going on. A behavioral health facility out of Florida is winning this week. We'll tell you why. And over a million dollars has been paid out after a ransom demand. Find out which educational institution coughed up that money. But first, here's what's happening in the news right now. So today I'd like to talk about ransomware trends, lures, and red flags to look out for. Some of you may have heard of the ransomware attack that was thwarted against Tesla as it made global headlines. It was an insider-enabled ransomware attack. And network defenders need to consider the possibility that not just attackers outside the firewall, but malicious employees within it could now be the origin of an attack. And this is especially important to note as ransomware continues to surge due to COVID. Other ransomware campaigns to look out for are campaigns that lure victims to install malware that steals financial data and other personal information. So additional lures that include information about vaccines, masks, and short supply commodities like hand sanitizer is a very good example. Lures that include free downloads for technology solutions that are in high demand is another example. And you know, if you're thinking of a solution, a virtual video and audio conferencing platform as all in-person events are now virtual, this is a good example of this. Another lure might be updates to collaboration solutions and social media applications. So what are the red flags also that you can look out for to spot and hopefully stop ransomware attacks? Yes, so there are red flags you can look out for and I'm going to quickly highlight seven of them. Great. So guys, if you're listening, which you are, <laughs> have a pen and paper handy, it'd be a good time to take some notes or you can just also uh, listen to the podcast again. Good idea, yes, and here we go. So first one is Active Directory will show multiple login failures. The second is that brute force attacks will hit the network. Third, phishing emails land with strange domains. Fourth, the network starts making a string of questions about a single machine. Fifth, security tools are being used in environments they weren't assigned to. Sixth, unusual timestamps appear on VPN connections. And last but not least, traffic is suddenly redirected to questionable places on the dark web. Wow. Well, thank you, Sierra. That's great. Now let's move on and tell us who's winning this week. Yeah, so our winner of the week is Henderson Behavioral Health. They are one of the oldest and most successful providers of behavioral health services in Florida. Tony Cox, who is their chief information officer, wanted a state-of-the-art email encryption solution and also wanted to implement an inbound email security solution specifically to filter out spam, malware, and virus email threats like we've been talking about with Tesla. And Tony ran into a challenge with Office 365's inbound security in that Office 365 only filters spam emails. So that is one of the reasons that he sought Pawbox out. And initially, most of Henderson's email communications went unencrypted because like most staff, their staff found it too time consuming to tailor each email to meet encryption requirements. 
so like I said before, they enlisted our help and they went with Pawbox Email Suite Plus. So what exactly is Pawbox Email Suite Plus? Yes, great question, Elena. So Pawbox Email Suite Plus is a product that provides email security and protects against display name spoofing, malware, and phishing attempts specifically. Excellent. And then what kind of results could people see just by using Powbox? Well, I do have Henderson's results right here. And in the past 12 months, Pawbox has encrypted nearly 60,000 emails sent by Henderson. We've also blocked 24 emails containing viruses and six phishing attempts. And any one of which could have led to a security breach and a hefty HIPAA fine. And if you want to learn more, Tony Cox is actually speaking on our September 8th Executive Roundtable webinar next week. So be sure to tune in. Excellent. And for more information on the webinar, you can also uh, log on to our website and our social media for a link to that. So great to hear. Now, as we always do, we like to highlight the winners and, of course, the failures to report. So it's time to highlight who's failing. For the failure and in sticking with the theme of ransomware, the University of California, San Francisco recently paid a 1.14 million ransom demand after NetWalker threat actors infected several servers of its school of medicine with ransomware. Unbelievable. Now, isn't this one of the facilities that's spearheading a good amount of COVID research? Yes, it is. So UCSF is leading the COVID-19 response, working with other researchers on antibody testing and clinical trials. And Networker first posted the data they stole from UCSF to their dark web blog during the first week of June and, and included screenshots. So UCSF has been working with a third party cybersecurity consultant and other outside experts to strengthen its security defenses and the affected servers are expected to be fully restored very, very soon. And, you know, despite the FBI's advice not to pay because, you know, this, I don't know if it's common knowledge or not, but paying doesn't guarantee a return of data and it also fuels further attacks. So, you know, despite this, they did pay a 1.14 million ransom demand. Wow. That's crazy. All right. Well, thank you, Sarah. That is a uh, great and valuable information, no doubt. So now we're going to move on to our encrypted interview series. Sierra chats this week with Anders Noriemo, the CEO and founder of Third Party Trust. Now, Third Party Trust is a unique platform that automates security questionnaires, collects information and evidence from reports and the like. So let's take a listen to this interview. Let me ask you, what do you see organizations struggling with the most when it comes to assessing third party risk? Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take a step back. And, and again, when I started the business, there was a couple of things that I looked at was, hey, all right, the problem today as it sits, how big is it? Will it be bigger or smaller tomorrow or in, in the future? And um, there was kind of key, three key factors that I identified that were going to drive this up. One was the sheer number of third parties. The second one was the breaches due to third parties. So again, a lot of the examples that are out there are, you know, happens to be third parties that have gotten breached. And, and their customers, the big enterprises in the news. Mm -hmm. And the third one is regulation. So we saw regulation early in banking, like I mentioned, that then creeped into, crept into insurance. That went into energy and utilities now. That went into via privacy into different states. 
you name it. So regulation is really, really pushed. Okay. So what that means is for companies, there's a bigger and bigger need. They, they all face those three same factors, right? They have more vendors that the risk of a breach keeps going up and regulation is forcing companies to take action. So where companies really struggle is, Hey, how do I stand up a program? Like what tooling can I use to get through this without having to add bodies to the process, right? Budgets are really limited. And even if you had budget, how do you find people with expertise that could do this? Right. So right. companies are really struggling with that to figure out, Hey, how do I find people or what do I do? Like I, you know, you know, the natural inclination of companies is to just do it manually with the tools they have emails and spreadsheets. Well, that doesn't scale time consuming, extremely time consuming. It's frustrating. And also it doesn't really get you great results period. I mean, you, you, you get through a process, I mean, you might be gathering data, but, the key thing that we always talk about is what are you doing with that data? Like gathering data for the sense of gathering data is just, you know, it's like a rocking chair. It kind of gives you something to do. It doesn't really get you anywhere. Mm -hmm. So like this should be about risk reduction. So what you really need to do is quickly be able to get data and then make decisions and, and push for changes for the better at that third party and be really targeted in what you do. Like have them change things that will materially change and improve their security posture that's how you lower risk so what do com companies mostly struggle with it's just standing up a process and scaling that process so, you know they might have a process that scales to let's say 20 or 40 vendors a year but in actuality they need to do 400 okay well they can't 10x the resources that's impossible they you know don't have the tooling to to do this so you know what we try to come in is you know, you know, with a platform and a new, really a new approach to how this should be done and using data-driven decisions for when do you go deeper in your assessment and when do you kind of take a step back and say, hey, the data that Third Party Trust provides is, is good enough. I've done an assessment. Um, the other key thing that we really stress is, you know, don't have a one-size-fits-all approach, right? Every vendor type, so like, let's just say, a SaaS vendor versus a someone that's developing code for you, right? That's two completely different vendors. And like this, the controls that you need to worry about really, really differ. Another one would be law firms, right? Right. With law firms, I would say really look at email security. Like, do they have Pawbox or something like that? Can I install that's really securing their email communication? That's really important for law firms. For a SaaS company, hey, how are you encrypting data in transit at rest? What are your like development practices? Again, these are completely different controls that you want to look at and make sure that they have in place. So companies right now are, are taking a really, a lot of them, a one size fits all approach. And that's kind of a shooting inside of a barn with a shotgun. Really it is. doesn't really do much. You, you, you get like really widespread, but it doesn't do much. So our focus is always to say, Hey, change your approach, sharpshoot and go really deep in the areas that matter. And, and that requires you to be much more nimble with your assessment because every vendor or vendor type is, is different. So do you have the tooling? Do you have the, the means to go about maybe 10 different types of assessment and to get to the same kind of outcome, which is quickly assess the gaps and drive those to remediation? Okay. 
And what can third parties do to cut down on the number of requests they get for security questionnaires? Great question. Yeah. So I can mention when I started the business, this is really was my pain point, right? I was a vendor. I was getting inundated with these requests. I liken, I liken it to like death by a thousand cuts where it's just one more, one more, one more. Eventually you just you end up dying. Right? So the goal of third party trust was always to again, not just help the enterprise do it more efficiently, but also figure out, can we add value? Can we solve the vendor's use case, which is, hey, I, I, I keep providing the same data over and over again. So the approach that we took was, you know, third-party trust is, the application itself is, is almost like a LinkedIn, but for B2B. Mm-hmm. The idea being companies have security profiles inside third-party trust, so vendors build a profile that has answers to standardized questionnaires, that has their SOC reports or high trust certification, their cyber liability insurance, their pen test, et cetera, all these different artifacts that basically explain to an outside party what your security posture is. Uh, Of course, all the other things I mentioned, all the other rating providers are part of that package too. So what we encourage our vendors to do is, hey, you've completed an assessment for one customer. Now get some mileage out of the work you do. do. And in third-party trust, you can build that profile and you can start sharing it out with other customers so that when they send you maybe that one-off Excel spreadsheet that doesn't really pertain, you can say, you know, third-party trust, you can say, hey, this is great. Let me first share what I have built already. It has up-to-date information around our security posture. It's very detailed. Check that out. If there's any questions, let me know. And what we found is that works in majority of cases, not all cases. It's, it's not a silver bullet. Some companies will say, come, come hell or high water, you better you know, fill out my custom questionnaire. And that's okay. If that happens, you're kind of back to, to where you started anyway. But you know, when companies do accept it, right, you just saved yourself a tremendous amount of time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a much more efficient way of, of going about it. And the key thing that we always talk about too is <clears throat> the vendors, as they build this profile, they can maintain it over time too. So as things change, they can just, just like your Sierra, your LinkedIn profile, right? You get a job at Pawbox, boom, you update it. Everyone can see it. Everyone can give you a thumbs up or congratulations. So again, the core of what we, what we thought about building was why can't we take the same concept, apply it to third-party risk management? That will help the vendors. It will help them with the initial onboarding and, and again, security review, but also the ongoing thing that happens typically on a yearly basis where you have to update this information and provide it back to your customers. Okay, great. And outside of assigning the questionnaires or performing on-site audits, what other services or technology allow organizations to digest third-party risk? Yeah, so I, I kind of mentioned a few of them. Um, you know, we, um, yeah, so our, our oh, let's just mention this, right? On-sites, I think, are not going to happen for a very long time because of COVID. I don't think anyone wants the liability of sending employees on site. And I don't think the vendors want that liability either having people come in. So I think on sites are mainly, maybe a thing of the past. We'll see. Um, 
then then you kind of then you're talking about remote assessments, right? And uh, <clears throat> like I mentioned, this that we, you know, questionnaires are good. They're self-attestation, and they're not actually appropriate always. Why? Because a questionnaire pro pro produces a lot of information. So, you know, what we like to, to take is, and what we preach is this risk-based approach to third-party risk management. So the idea being first measure inherent risk. And what that means is, again, how critical this business vendor to us? Like, what's the, if there was a breach, what would the, the impact be on the business? So we, we always stress, hey, that should be quantified and you should look at that vendor and say, how much data, what's the type of data? Is there any regulation around this this the relationship that we have? Um, so quantify impact first, and then based on that, then you make a decision, hey, how deep do I want to go, right? And if it's a low impact vendor, then we say, hey, use our, our data sources from our partners to make an assessment. And if that information looks good, then maybe that's enough, right? Maybe you take that data from BitSide and just say, Okay, based on the posture of the impact of this vendor and what BitSight is telling us, maybe this is enough. You know, I, I feel I've made an assessment here, a risk-based decision that based on the impact, I'm not going to go any deeper. Um, another is like, hey, maybe the BitSight data doesn't look that great. Okay, then you warrant, then you kick it up and say, I'm going to send out questionnaires or go deeper. And then obviously for your really critical vendors, no matter what, you want to do that deep dive and you want to understand much more detail around how they're securing their infrastructure, their processes and procedures. And Anders, I know you mentioned that your platform does remove some of the administrative tasks, such as spreadsheeting, some of the spreadsheet, um, but how does your platform help information security teams eliminate administrative tasks associated, associated with third-party risk management? Yeah, sure. So, a key problem in the industry or how this happens is a lot of the data gathering is kind of put on the InfoSec team. So InfoSec teams at enterprises spend a tremendous amount of time just gathering data, right? Well, data gathering is, is a very low value activity. It's, necess it's necessary for a, uh, a pro like a TPRM process to run. You need data. Without data, you can't run a TPRM process. But you know the act itself is actually very low value add. So a key thing that we've always think about is how do we make it easier for vendors to do the data gathering, right? So how do we enable vendors to build and maintain these profiles, right? How do we enable them to bring in the entire team at that vendor site to do this quickly? So a key thing that we try to do is the low value activities of gathering data, what needs to live with the vendor anyway, and, and if you move that away from the enterprise, now all of a sudden your enterprise have, you know, the, the employees, they have a lot more time to spend on high value activities. And what we mean by that is reviewing the information in detail, opening and discussing findings with your third party and driving those findings to remediation, right? That's really where we want these highly skilled folks to be working on. We don't want them working on, you know, gathering data or sending follow-up emails or, or, you know, check it in. Hey, what's the status on this? I mean, all those things can be automated. And again, every day, what we're thinking about is taking each one of those administrative tasks and can we build automation around it and intelligence? 
like that, we know that there's always a follow-up where people are asking like, what's my due date? Okay, the, 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 the platform can do that for you. It can tell the vendor when it's due, it can remind them, right? Training on how to use the tool or what's like needed. Mm-hmm. Again, a platform can easily do that. You don't need a person. So a lot of these low value activities, what we're looking to do is to say, hey, how do we take that out of the hands of the InfoSec team and have the tool automate it or, and or, how do we enable the vendor to do more on their own without being kind of pushed or directed by the InfoSec team at the enterprise? Okay, great. Thanks so much for sharing that. And Anders, what sets your platform apart from your competitors? Sure. Um, so, you know, nine times out of 10, when we are kind of in these sales cycles and what are we looking at? You know, we're competing with a homegrown solution. We're competing with manual spreadsheets and emails. So, you know, obviously all the things I just said, you know, we're the same players when I started are still in business. And like the main issue with their solution is still there, right? And the number one differentiator that we do is, is how we approach this whole problem. So a GRC tool like Archer or Galvanize is what we call silo. A silo means that the enterprise have to gather all this information on their own, put it in the tool for, for it to produce reports, value, et cetera. Well, that's really difficult. It's very time consuming and it's hard for enterprises to do that. So third party trust, again, our main differentiator is that we are built more like the LinkedIn for B2B, right? So it's a network-based approach to third party risk management. So now that we bring on customers and they ask, hey, how many of my vendors do you, do you have in your, your net network? In most cases, we already have half of them in the platform. So again, data for half of their vendors is already readily available using third-party trust as opposed to starting from scratch. That's the main differentiator between what you'll get with these kind of other tools out there versus what, what we provide. Right. Our goal is actually to crowdsource this information in some ways across all of our enterprise customers that helps them. And of course, you know, it helps the vendors because they can standardize, they can basically maintain a golden source of information that they can share with all their customer base. And that again has all these network effects because again, it's now it's even better for the enterprise and that makes it better for the vendor and so forth. So yeah, the network is kind of our main differentiation. Um, other than that, you kind of go down this, you know, other secondary things that we look at, which is, hey, make it really easy to use. Uh, make it like seamless, like it just should not require training. Anyone should just be able to pick it up and, and start using it. Um, the other one would be the way we integrate data and, and how that data drives the process and helps speed up and provide intelligence. I think we probably have in this, this space, our integrations are the strongest, they're the most well-defined, that they're the deepest, and they're the easiest to use. Thank you so much, Sierra, and big thanks to everyone for tuning in. If you'd like more information, be sure to visit our website, that's palbox.com. Follow us also on social media. Until next time, like, subscribe, and see ya. Bye, everyone.